Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen here in the BetMGM studio. We got Brant Boyer, the Jets special teams coordinator, on the podcast today. Brant's just, he's a tough-nosed dude, and that's a gentle way of putting it. It's not gentle. It's just accurate. Outdoorsman, fisherman, hunter, guy who lasted 10 years in the National Football League. He's just a person who's not afraid of any collision or what's around the bend. He's somebody you want in a foxhole. You know, if you (laughs) want to climb in a foxhole with and you need somebody to have your back, I got Brant Boyer. Yeah, I think that's a very good way to describe Brant Boyer. I was just saying... You could be a little more explicit if we weren't on the airwaves here on how to describe. The you would say of dude tough that... SOB, can't you? Yeah, okay, tough <laughs> SOB. That's a good one. All I right, think that's fair. You. And we also have Bart Scott on the podcast for every week for our Victorinox Swiss Army Knife Player of the Game segment as we preview Jets Patriots on Monday night in week nine. But I really think that fans are going to like what they hear from Brant Boyer. He's been here a couple years now, right? Like 2016 or 15. Mm-hmm. And Brant Boyer is, I think he's just an interesting dude. It's one of the toughest jobs in the National Football League because your personnel is constantly changing. So your key guys from last year, you have a totally different set of key contributors the following year. And that's constant. That is every year in the NFL. And he's been a really good coach for the Jets and how you know somebody is a good coach too is when you have staff turnover and people are like nah I like that guy but let's keep him (laughs) and of course that happened what a couple years ago now Brant Boyer stayed between Todd Bowles and Adam Gase correct and without further ado let's just hear from Brant Boyer because we don't want to spoil anything and it was a great interview now joined by Jets special teams coordinator Brant Boyer Brant thanks a lot for joining us here on the official Jets podcast Anytime, guys. So I want to start off with this. As a special teams coordinator and a former special teams stalwart in the NFL, you know, you got to be some kind of crazy, right, to play on special teams and to be really good at it. So I figured Brant Boyer would be some kind of daredevil or do like the adrenaline rush. So what's what does Brant Boyer like to do for fun? I think you got to be a little crazy to coach it and play it, you know, to be honest with you. No, I'm, I'm just kidding, but uh... – I do a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm a huge uh, fisherman. Uh, I fly fish probably four to five times a week if I can get a chance and, and uh, back home in Utah. Um, big snowmobiler. I, I snowmobile all the time up in the mountains and, and uh, you know, get back and ride in the trees and, and uh, do some stuff I probably shouldn't at that time. But um, I really enjoy doing that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I'm a, a big hunter. Um, all kinds of stuff like that, big outdoorsman kind of guy. What's the key to being a quality fly fisherman? Patience. Well, I think it's patience, and it's, it's hard to, uh, um, like, you know, I have two sons, and, and uh, they, they have a hell of a time with that, not uh, <laughs> have the patience. They, they think that you can go out there and, and uh, you know, you're supposed to catch a fish on every cast, and, and obviously with – with fly fishing, it's it's a lot different, and you know I've been doing it since I was little and and stuff. So, you know it's a big passion of mine, and and uh, you know trying to teach them, um, you know all the stuff that I know, and and uh, you know they have a problem with the patience. So that's probably the biggest thing. For Brant, sure. Brant, did you have problems with the patience yourself when you were a youngster? You know, probably so. Probably so. My grandfathers are a little more patient probably than I am sometimes. Um, you know, to be honest with you, but. Uh, 
you know, they, they did a great job, at, you know, in the, in the, with the COVID thing, uh, being back home, um, you know, in Utah, you could go out quite a bit and you're, you're out in the, in the uh, sticks, so to speak. So I go up to Wyoming a lot, um, go on the rivers up there and lakes in Utah and rivers in Utah and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with my kids and, and be able to uh, try to teach them the finer arts of it, you know. You know, for someone that is, of course, you live special teams, you breathe it, it's so fast-paced. And then in the offseason, I think it's really interesting to hear you like the slow pace, you know, being patient with fishing and hunting and everything of that nature. Is it? Do you almost take a second and realize how different the speed of your profession and your hobby is, and that's why you like it because it's like polar opposites? Yeah, I, I think that's the balance, right? Um, you know, everything's so hectic, hectic with work for – nine, 10 months out of the year. And, and when I finally be able to get home and, and sit on my boat and float down a river and, and uh, get out and fish and fish all the way down and stuff like that, hell, there's nobody out there and, and you're all by yourself and, or with your buddies and, and your kids and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, it, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, I don't, you don't think about work at all. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the major things that's probably a plus for me. I tie, tie some of my own stuff as well. I never thought I would have patience to tie my own flies. And, you know, I can't do all the crazy stuff, but I can do, you know, most of my midges and, and uh, stuff like that. But uh, I can't do all the, you know, the crazy streamers and stuff like that. So my, my wife has to uh, get on me once in a while about how much I spend on fly fishing equipment. That's for sure. <laughs> Brant, what do you hunt? I mean, because <clears throat> you, a fisherman... Uh, since a young kid, but you are a hunter as well. And another thing that I don't think people quite know about you is after your playing career ended, you actually were doing this daily, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. I uh, owned a hunting business for, let's see, I think it was seven or eight years before I got into coaching. And, and uh, I think we had, let's see, almost 125,000 acres leased up in Colorado and had a couple of partners and, and, uh, we guide anything from goose to moose, man. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So, um, you know, antelope and, and everything like that and muleys and whitetail and, and geese and, and, uh, spent a lot of time in the woods and, and, uh, really enjoy that kind of thing. You know, it was, it was, it was you know, that's what my passion is and between that and fishing, I really enjoy getting out and doing that kind of stuff. But what drew you into coaching? You had a successful business and you were out there in the outdoors. I know you played 10 seasons in the National Football League at that high paced uh, speed, but then you decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to own my own business. What drew you back? Um, you know, that's a great question. I, I uh, you, you start, when you get out of the game, everything is a regimented process, you know, through throughout your entire life all through college you're told when to be somewhere and 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 uh you know what time you got to do this and what time you got to do that you're expected to be this and you're expected to be that and and i took some time off that uh you know it was really good for me and but what you don't get outside in in normal businesses and and things like that or you know you have to protect yourself with attorneys all the time and people are always trying to to uh, get over on you all the time and things like that in business. And so I always felt like, you know, I really, really miss the guys. And that's something that, that I think every player goes through when you, because we come to work every day and, and uh, you know, while it's a lot of work, we try to have fun and um, you know, you just can't have, you can't have the conversations we have all the time 
can't joke around with the players all the time. You can't, you know, you're, you're not on the grass all the time. And that, that's something I really miss. Um, you know, football has given me everything I have my whole life. I've been very fortunate. Uh, you know, I've worked very hard, but you know, it's, it's a, a special deal to be able to be a part of this. And, and I was very, very fortunate to, uh, you know, to, to be able to get a call from Chuck Pagano and get back in and, and, uh, but I, I miss the guys, man, bad, uh, miss the players and <clears throat> being around the guys and miss the competitive side of it. You know, I'm a big competitor. So <clears throat> I, I wanted to win a ring. I never, never got close. Uh, we got, we got close twice in, in all those years and, and, uh, Greg's team beat us once and the Patriots beat us the, the next time. So, um, you know, I want to win a ring and, and, uh, you know, the, you get tired of, of not, of not being in a competitive situation and more so you miss the guys. You know, Brent, down the road after your coaching career, do you envision yourself getting back in to hunting and owning whatever it was that you did before, maybe growing off of that? Um, I just bought a place in Montana, um, right on a lake and, and some ground that eventually I'll build my like forever home and, and stuff like that. But, um, I, I certainly see myself um, getting on my tube every morning I, I can and, and fishing in the, in the lake that we we're going to live on and, and uh, being in that slower pace atmosphere, that's for sure. Um, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't do too much hunting anymore. I just like being out in the woods. I, I do do some bird hunting and stuff like that. I like going out and doing some big game hunting, but, but I'm not much of a, a guy that uh, likes to kill a lot of things. I just like to be out there and and uh, guiding people doing it and, and seeing their reaction. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, like I said, that's one of my releases. And, and uh, you know, I think, <clears throat> thank God I have a wife that understands it, right? What about participating on that desert swarm defense that I don't know if Green's is too familiar with and might have been a little bit before his time? What are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, I'll tell you what, you know, we, we had a bunch of guys that uh, were all too small, too slow, you know, nobody wanted them, you know, very low, you know, um, low recruited guys. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, I think you had a bunch of guys that really loved to play together and, and uh, love to be around each other. And, and, uh, you know, still some of those records haven't been broken. Um, but, uh, you know, the Teddy Brewskis, the Rob Waldrips and Jimmy Hopkins and, all the DBs that we played with, Brandon Sanders and Tony Bowie and all those guys. I mean, we had a, a Ty Parton and um, guys that played in the league uh, on that defense. Uh, you know, it's just a bunch of great, great teammates that, that all came together and, and all worked hard. And, and it was just a great overall team to be a part of, coached by a great man and Dick Tomey and, and uh, you know, a heck of a coaching staff uh, that, that uh, you know, it's another one of the best times of my life. You know, Coach, I've always wondered this. When either whether it's college or pro, when you're looking at guys that you think can be or make an impact on special teams, what are you looking for? And then how much can you tell when you actually meet the person to determine how crazy that person actually is? <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to find, you know, want to. And, and I think that, you know, when you when you – watch tape on somebody, you can always see the want to in them. And, and if a guy refuses to be blocked, refuses to let somebody beat him to the tackle, um, you know, is a, is a tough guy. And that's to say it nicely, right. Uh, is a tough guy and, and battles with his teammates and goes after people and, and has that mean streak in them. that. Those are the guys that I want on my squad. And, uh, 
you know, you've got to be smart as well to play in this league and, and uh, be able to function, uh, you know, learn in multiple positions and, and uh, you know, people go down every week and get able to do that. But those are the kind of guys that I look for, um, guys that are just hard-nosed, tough guys that, that play a thousand miles an hour and, and like to get after people. And those are the kind of guys I like on the team. What can you say about your family? Uh, your grandfather was a Marine, your dad, a college cornerback himself. What do you take from those two individuals and how much are they in you each and every day here out at work? Um, you know, there's a lot. I think that, uh, you know, my older brother, Darren, played at Fresno State. My younger brother, Chase, played at, uh, at uh, Snow College and, and uh, where I went to, I walked on a Snow Junior College. And so, I, you know, <clears throat> my dad is a very good athlete. Um, you know, my brother was a good athlete, but, you know, all my family is. So my, my little sister went to, uh, you know, Southern Utah State on a soccer scholarship. And, and uh, you know, it kind of runs in the family. My uncles played and, and uh, you know, so it, um, you know, I, I think it's just one of those deals where growing up in a small little town where, where my grandfather raised me was, uh, you know, he worked my butt off as a diehard Marine, as you can imagine. And, uh, you know, I think I learned a lot of lessons being a walk-on in junior college and, and having to work my way up. And, and you know, nobody gave me anything. And, and I remember sending letters to smaller colleges and everything like that. And nobody would even give me a partial scholarship coming out of high school. And, and uh, you know, finally I ended up doing well enough in junior college that, you know, teams were uh, wanting me to play for them. And I picked Arizona and couldn't have picked a better spot with our defense being number one two years in a row. And, and then got lucky enough to get drafted in Miami. But those, you know, all those things are, you know, the work and hard work are for my dad and my grandfather and, and my brother as an example. You know, Coach, I want you to settle a debate for us here. Not not us meaning EA and myself, us meaning like the world, okay? Because a lot of people, they think they know special teams. And I want to know who Brant Boyer thinks is the best returner of all time. I think a lot of people will think of Devin Hester or Dante Hall. Mm. Is it between them or is there someone that we're missing here? I, I would say, I, I don't think you can argue with Devin Hester. Um, you know, I think there's, there's some guys that, that are in his class. Dante Hall was very good. Uh, you, you know, you've got a lot of guys uh, that are in a really good class, but, but nobody could affect a game like that does. And, and uh, you know, a guy like him, I, I think he, he, one game single-handedly guys were afraid to kick to him and that's the hidden yardage and everything that that nobody understands when you got a really really good returner that that they can affect a game like that they they i mean that guy was unbelievable and i he would have my vote for for the number one guy that i've ever covered against i know that you can't go wrong there you have such a unique background we could talk to you for hours but i wanted to ask you quickly about what was it like to be part of an expansion team as you were with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Because not only were you part of an expansion team, but that team succeeded rather quickly. It was, uh, I'll tell you, going from, uh, you know, when they, you know, you see the beautiful new facilities down there and the indoor and everything like that, hell, where that indoor was, there was, you know, uh, it was nothing but parking lot and old buildings and old coffee, uh, you know, warehouses and everything down that, that whole area downtown has changed. I mean, we, you know, at first, uh, when the coaches got there, they were working in trailers and everything. And I mean, going there was, you know, it was a, it was an awesome experience. Um, you know, working, working and playing for a guy, uh, Tom Coughlin that, 
you know, was a, a hard-nosed guy and, and uh, you know, I think a very, very good coach. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, it was a younger team. Um, obviously, Carolina, when they came in at the same time, they went with like an older veteran-style team. We went all young. And, and um, you know, um, I think that eventually we became, you know, I think in our second year we ended up going to the, the uh, AFC Championship and, and beat, had a big uh, win in, in Buffalo where they hadn't beat, been beaten years and went to Denver and beat Elway and those guys. And, and uh, you know, that was one of the biggest upsets in, in uh, the National Football League at the time. And and uh, then we, we lose to the Patriots uh, at the Patriots, you know, didn't play very well and went up there in the AFC Championship game. So gradually became really, really good, um, you know, and went to another AFC Championship game in 99. And, and uh, we're almost in the playoffs every year. And Greg's uh, Tennessee Titans uh, beat us in, in uh, we just couldn't get past his defense. He had a really good defense back then as well. And then, uh, you know, they, we just couldn't beat those guys. They were in our division. We went 14 and two and had a first round bye, and then beat Miami the 62 to seven mm -hmm. in the first or our first game. And then we had them coming to us in, uh, in the AFC championship game and they came down and beat us. So it was a heartbreaker for us. That's for sure. But it was the, the maturation process of, of, of the young guys and then now starting to get in better and players as the team filled out and everybody staying together and working hard and, and the coaches did a great job. And, and uh, you know, we had a heck of a team there. Just couldn't, you know, Tennessee had our number. We couldn't beat them. Last one for me. I, I just wanted to know if we ever get an opportunity to get out to Utah, <laughs> where do we have to go? I will take you up to Park City to a couple, a couple of restaurants that I like, and I'd take you snowmobiling if you came out in the winter, and I'd take Ooh. you fishing in the summer. I, I'm taking them up on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, out anytime. <laughs> well, we'll look at some tickets for maybe uh, March or April when it's a little snowy, but not maybe super frigid. Does that sound good to you, that, Coach? That is the perfect time to come up because you can you can get uh, all three done. You can even play golf at that time. I've, oh, I've uh, snowmobiled snow in the morning and fished on the way down in the river on, right by my house and then played nine in the afternoon. So oh, it's, wow. It's all cool. right. Well, a perfect day. Then it will be five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> right. All right, Coach, appreciate the time, and we'll see you in Utah real soon. Okay. All right, guys. Take care. So when do you want to go to Utah? Soon. Uh, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, unfortunately, and they said that the numbers continue to rise and we're bracing ourselves for a tough winter. Hopefully we get that vaccine very soon because I know on the level of importance, it's way down there. But yes, we do want to go to Utah. We want to spend some time with Brand. We want to get out there in the water and fish. We want to hunt a little bit. I like what he said about hunting too. He's not necessarily not necessarily out there for for the kill. It's actually the activity itself. And then finally, he said there's a lot of places to go uh, golfing, and uh, I imagine we also could get a nice cold brew. You know, I was, and for the record, when you said cold brew, you meant beer. You didn't mean coffee. Uh, well, or, that, or, that, or we'll leave it to the yeah, audience. Yes. Whatever you think yes. EA meant is what he meant. That but, final scene of Sopranos? I mean, it's up to you how you decide. Yeah, Let's not revisit what you said in an earlier episode about The Sopranos that you've never watched it through. I know what the final episode was. Okay, fair enough. Okay. So, real quick, though, you know, I, I took away the snowmobiling part when he was talking about Utah. I'm interested in snowmobiling. I've never been snowmobiling. I've actually only been fishing 
once in my you life probably, too. You probably would like snowmobiling because you like to drive uh, cars fast. <laughs> we experienced that in Indianapolis. This kid, this guy from Manhattan is driving in Indianapolis like he is on Broadway. And he has just a fraction of a second before he hits a biker or uh, a 16 or 18 wheeler goes by him. <laughs> guy's stepping on the gas all over the place, pointing at people. Uh, so you true. probably you probably love speed. Um, and I know Boyer gets after it in a, sm- a snowmobile, but I'm sure he's a much friendlier driver than you are. Okay, hold on. First of all, don't think that's true in terms of Brant Boyer's driving because special teams is – a thousand miles an hour all the time. Yeah, Second of all, that Indianapolis story, I liked your the way you told it, but it's also a little, a little embellished, just for the record. How is it embellished? <laughs> because if we had like a minivan that you would see have, a okay, soccer no. mom have. And <laughs> you were driving it like we just got a Maserati and you just got your permit. Okay. First of all, it wasn't a minivan. It was a huge SUV. It was a tank. And one of our producers said, you know, you can drive us to dinner because I had to pull around to the convention center. We'd load up the gear. You guys were loading it up. He said, all right, we're going here. I said, okay. And then someone decided to walk in the middle of the road when it said do not walk. And, you know, I, I don't know what Indianapolis etiquette is, so I laid on the horn because that's how I was taught. Yeah, if but you I- walk in the road at the wrong time, I am honking. And to be fair, I believe they cut you, it a little close. I believe you pointed at the person too, or something. I didn't point at the person. I think the person might have flipped me the bird, but I didn't take offense to it. But I think really, that was America's heartland, man. And, I, and I you're think going what, after people. There. I think what you're not telling a part of the story is really the the meat and potatoes here. There was a parking spot yeah. that was probably it was a tight squeeze, and both <laughs> you and our producer said. I don't think the car will fit. And I said, no, it will. And, and it did. Well, of course, you brought the city to Indianapolis, which was fine. But that, that gave me some insight to who you are. Most people think, oh, mild-mannered Ethan, he's so nice and all this <laughs> other stuff. Well, like, look at this guy with a car. With a soccer mom's SUV, you call it. <laughs> it was, it, it was like a minivan. For, for sponsorship <laughs> reasons, I don't want to put out the brand. Okay. okay, but I'll fine. tell you off the air. <laughs> but let's move on here. Jets Patriots. Prime time. Let's prime go. time. Week nine. We let's got start Bart the Scott. second half of the season. Right. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to say anything else before we head to Bart Scott? No. All right. Well, let's hear from Bart Be Scott. Be safe to, out there on the roads. Now it's time for our Victorinox Swiss Army Knife Player of the Game segment with Bart Scott. Bart, Jets are facing the Patriots for the first time without Tom Brady in a long time. Obviously, he didn't play in 2008, but before that, you got to go back to really 2002 and before that. So with all that being said, what is your player or matchup to watch on Monday night? Well, for me, it's going to have to be Quentin Williams. We'll see if that hamstring is healthy. If he's not able to go then it's going to have to maybe be Marcus May because he's going to be responsible for really tracking um, Cam Newton if he's going to do these desired runs. Um, he didn't throw the ball a lot last week because of the the conditions and the wind. We don't know what the conditions are going to be. It's pretty windy out here today. We don't know from day to day what the weather's going to be like. But if they do decide to get into that Cam Newton powerhouse, you know, student body left, student body right, you know, the person that's going to have to be the person that changes the math is going to have to be, you know, Marcus May you know, coming down and playing within the alleys. The last time the Patriots were two and five, Bart Scott was a very young man. You have to go back to the year 
2000. The Pats riding a four-game losing streak. The Jets looking for their first victory. I had, I'm going to go on the other side of the ball and take Sam Darnold and whoever is playing receiver for the Jets. They've exceeded 17 points just one time this year. they got to get something going in the passing game, fellas, against this New England defense who missed Stephon Gilmore last week. If he's back in the lineup, he remains one of the elite cornerbacks in the National Football League. The Jets had just one explosive play in the past game last week of more than 20 yards or more. So let's see if Sam Darnold can get some plays down the field. Hey, Bart, what do you think about this New England defense real quick before I give my player slash matchup to watch? This defense had a couple guys opt out earlier in the year in the opt-out period like Dante Hightower, and this team obviously is without Tom Brady and a prolific offense. But what do you make of the Patriots' defense so far in 2020? Well, the best defense for them was that offense because they were always putting up points, and you know Tom Brady kind of had them in, and that's kind of like the elephant in the room. Without that protection, because Cam's not been able to put up points and not being able to get on the same page with the receivers, now it puts that that defense on the field more. And the more that the defense is on the field, the more plays that they have to play, the more vulnerable they become. You know, so I think that they're adequate. I think they can play well in spurts. But I don't think it, they're world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. They've never had really a dominant pass rusher naturally, which means that they had to generate um, – pressure by blitzing sometimes and adding guys like Hightower who's not there. And so now that gives you, you know, limited versatility as far as being able to be diverse within your attack, you know, for a team. So I would say that this defense is middle of the pack. Um, and and part of that is the fact that their offense doesn't consistently put up points and let them play from, from a lead. So, so for my matchup to watch or player, I'm going to go with the Jets offensive line up front. EA was talking about, how maybe the Jets and Sam Darnold can get some explosive plays on the outside. We'll see if Stephon Gilmore will play for the New England Patriots on Monday night. But if the Jets can establish some kind of ground game with Mekhi Becton, and this will be Mekhi Becton's, I'll say like his, his pseudo first primetime game, because of course he played against the Broncos for a couple of plays before he shut it down with the shoulder injury. He didn't start that game. So if the Jets can get something going on the ground, with Frank Gore, with LaMichael Pirine. Hopefully that'll open some things up for Denzel Mims. Hopefully Brashad Perriman and Jamison Crowder will be back in the lineup. And hopefully the Jets will be able to have a full, healthy receiving core for the first time this season in Week 9 against the New England Patriots. I will say the Bills did rush the ball against the Patriots, almost 200 yards on the ground. And since we do have Bart here, we have to ask what – was your favorite primetime moment against the Patriots? Um, for me, I don't even know if it was primetime, but for me it was the first game that we ever played against them because you know, it was a 1 o'clock game, and remember it came down to fourth and one, and they were going for it. We hit Tom Brady, um, I believe, 26 times, and it came down to the old – you know, Terminator, they they were going to go with their favorite play. We knew that favorite play was a stretch play to Logan Mankins, who they always thought could be able to move enough people to give them that number one, to give them that first yard, to give them that yard. You know, we, we have tremendous belief in, in in Chris Jenkins and what that defense line was all about. We all knew it was going um, to, the, to, to, the, to the right, their left, and we were able to get to stop. And, you know, I think that was a symbol to everybody that these aren't the same Jets. You know, we we're able to, to stop them on fourth and one on their territory. We didn't make it interesting. We didn't 
make it come down to the last play on the on the goal line, you know, you know, either stop them or lose. We were able to just take care of business. And I think for the first time, it was like, okay, this is different. And you know, we backed up uh, Rex's words at least for a week, saying that he didn't come here to kiss Bill Belichick's rings. All right, and that's how we wrap up this week's edition of the Vitorinox Swiss Army Knife Player of the Game segment. And that's another edition, a wrap on another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by AWS.